Welcome to the Smart Pacific Podcast from the PTC. Introducing more insights from ICT thought leaders in the Pacific and beyond is your host, Steve McClelland. Welcome to Smart Pacific. In this episode, recorded in Hong Kong, we meet what could be the first of a new wave of entrepreneurs in the data center market. Only this market has a difference. It's China, traditionally termed a difficult market, and the entrepreneurs are foreign investors. But in the wave of a massive infrastructure demand, does this mean that China is more and more accommodating for business? We caught up with Jonathan Bernay, Chief Operating Officer of Chayora, about to complete its first data center and looking to build more. We began by asking him what Chayora is and what it intends to do. We set up Chayora to become the trusted partner for international cloud and colo players who wanted to access the highly attractive Chinese digital economy, but from inside China. China has had the reputation of being a difficult market to quote some people. What's changed now? China has set out through its five-year plan that it wants to participate on a world stage with international players who can participate in the, in the digital economy. It sets out in the five-year plan that it wishes to see joint ventures in place. So, and it makes international players welcome. There is no doubt as well that, that it sees itself as becoming, if not the leading player, then one of the leading players in artificial intelligence. And you just have to look at the, the basis of, of technology developing in China at the moment to see that that's likely to happen. So the market environment is hugely attractive. And from a data center perspective, the, the supply and demand mismatch is very profound. The orders of magnitude mean that the US is probably four times more concentrated in terms of data center capacity availability compared to China. If you go to a hyperscale, it's even more extreme. And the, the availability of hyperscale data centers, and what I mean by that is, let's call it 10 megawatts plus, um, operating to international standards means that it's, there's a very, very limited supply. So the opportunity is there. And of course, China actually wants that sort of infrastructure to be developed. Why are we different? We're different in, in a number of respects. One is customers, and it's not a glib statement for us. We've designed our business from the boardroom backwards. The second is the policy of China. And so we have spent an awful lot of time understanding, studying and supporting the policy of China with regard to data centres. And then the third element, of course, is shareholder returns. And we operate very firmly where all three of those things overlap and support each other. Where we don't go is into a space where one overrides the other. And I think perhaps some of the history of people finding it more difficult in China is where they found one of those things has caused their business to be driven in a particular direction. So we always play in the area where all, the, all three of those items are matched and supporting each other. How would you describe yourself? We are a wholesale hyperscale campus provider, but we, we focus on built to suit on the basis that our target customers are likely to have a very strong view on what they need to be successful in the market, whether it's a shell design or MEP design or network provision or power provision. And what we've decided to do in terms of designing our campuses is make sure that we've got maximum optionality. But we do 
own and operate the data centres themselves. We can provide all sorts of optionality around the, around the physical asset itself, funding sources in terms of how it's owned, JV, it's, if it's legally available, that, those sorts of things. We can provide that, and that's very much been the, the basis on, on which we work. Again, going back to my customer-shareholder five-year plan, the drivers, if you like. Why is there such a big gap? a big mismatch in the supply and demand situation here. The numbers I'll give you will be order of magnitude as opposed to precisely accurate, but there is around about 10 million square metres of white space available in the US at the moment for a population of 300 million or so. In China today, probably 3 million square metres of white space for a population of 1.4 million. You then add on the fact that the penetration of the internet is probably at 60% of the population in China as opposed to 85 to 90% in the US or, or indeed in Europe. So you've then got a, a sort of a basic supply-demand mismatch, and then you've got growth, and then you've got the dramatic change towards the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence. So if anybody needs to question whether there's a, there's a demand and, and a supply that needs to be, to, to be put in place, then those are the sorts of scenarios to be, to be thinking about. So presumably, at these growth rates, we could expect the same sort of performance in China as we've seen in the US and Europe. I think that's true. I think the reason that it has been to date has been the regulatory restrictions. And I think the fact that it's a, it has been developing, but I think you'd be under no illusion you go to Shanghai and Beijing, they're developed, they're fully, <laughs> fully developed environments with some of the most uh, profound leading edge thinking in digital in digital economy that you can possibly come across. And they, they want to see this infrastructure being put in place. Why aren't the big Chinese players doing this already? I think it's a matter of choice. I think it's a matter of capital availability and also just to reflect on what other things are occupying the, the pace of change in the, in the telco environment. So this is not just with respect to, to China, but is profound in China, is you know, the amount of money that needs to go into the 5G network at the moment means significant focus. And, and you can also see, again, within the five-year plan, that the government is putting pressure on the, the telcos to liberalise is the wrong word, but certainly... A, change the way they're acting and make more bandwidth available to more customers around the whole of China. So the population of 1.4 billion all needing to be served with with multiple choice of bandwidth is a pretty big task. And then if we layer on, and by the way, you need to build up some data centers, if you don't mind, it becomes a very significant task. So the market is saying, well, how many other players can help us to build out this infrastructure that's necessary? And can we adopt best practice? Can we learn from the rest of the world and implement international standards, both in terms of resilience, efficiency in particular? So use of power is a massive issue for, for China. And the telcos are welcoming that. And I think it just gives them more, more capacity to actually then sell bandwidth into the market. What about the other services that data centre users require, such as terrestrial and subsea cable links? Our perspective on this is that the cooperation and collaboration with those players is absolutely critical to success. And and we set up our campuses on the basis that we've already got that cooperation. We don't go and buy a piece of land and then hope we can string it all together. Quite the opposite, actually. Our approach is that we need to assemble those elements in the first place. That's very much about network inside China. And I think that for a period of time, the network will become easier to understand for international players. 
players. I think some of the greyer areas which people think are happening in certain cases, in certain cases probably are, you know, availability of, uh, of dark fibre and that, that sort of thing. But again, go back to our philosophy, which is we don't want to tread into those grey areas. We want to stay very firmly policy customers, shareholders, and work closely with, with the network providers so that, that we can provide substantial bandwidth that we need but there's no doubt that it doesn't perform in the same free market way that you would see in Australia or Europe or or US and that's the journey that it's on. What is your progress at the moment? We commenced construction on the first Tianjin facility in January of of this year. Very rapid transition from completing the government land auction, which was on December the 25th, which all of my colleagues were delighted about, and then commenced construction in in January. Progress has been very good. We've got a great contractor. We've done lots of preparation to make sure that the actual physical delivery of construction is to standards which we as a company espouse, whether that's health and safety, whether that's the quality of our actual construction on site, management of suppliers, etc, 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 the whole thing, and also to design that, that we're, we recognise as, a, as a, Chayora, a Chayora standard, and including doing that in a China environment. So if you go and see that the facility, you'll, you'll recognise it as a very impressive facility. And we're now in discussions with a number of potential customers who've gone from thinking about Chayora as having great plan, great ideas, you know, institutional backing, show us that you can deliver it, to we're now delivering it, customers recognising it, it's real and exciting and is really there for them. So, so that's where we are. And we're in those discussions now, we're in due diligence with a, with a number of customers right, right now. And our expectation is that then the remaining facilities on that campus will be in demand very quickly. So we're going to have to make sure that we're set up to expand not just one, but two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe, data centres on that on that site. That site has a capacity for actually up to nine, nine data centres, and so we've only, we're only putting the first one in place. But it already has all the power, all the provision, and the rest of it. And what we're doing at the moment is then negotiating a, a similar agreement that allows us to have capacity have land or have options, have power, fibre and government support in Shanghai as well. So so we're probably a year later in timeframe terms in Shanghai right now and then we're planning on at least two other locations as well after that. But the... Our experience has been pairing, going through the loops with with the government, getting the licences in place, and then you execute, as opposed to execute and then come back and think about the mistakes you made. So, with the first data centre completed, you'd be looking to rapidly scale and adopt the business model for other areas. The whole idea behind this was, and, and really the reason for a campus, was to provide assurance of scalability. So... We already have the land, we have the power, we have the fibre, we have a standard shell, we have already planning per approval for that for that shell. Yes, of course, if there's customization that needs to come in, then, then that absorbs some time. But in essence, this is about assuring our potential customers and investors that we can then repeat, 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 and take away the risk that they would perceive and see if they were going off and trying to buy a piece of land themselves and start from zero. Do you want to be the first mover and set the industry benchmark here? Critical to us that we are serving customers in a way that means that they value what we're delivering to them, that we are trusted, and it's a repeated statement. To be first, 
Not necessarily. We're not saying that we have to be first. In essence, however, because of the campus nature of what we're doing, we probably do have a first mover advantage. But equally, as you mentioned earlier, China's considered to be a tough place to do business. The first only comes comes as a result of nobody else deciding that they want to do it. <laughs> so uh, are, there, are there others that would adopt a, a similar model? I think so. Maybe they don't have the appetite for the time and the preparation that we've put in. What we think will hold us in good stead is these long-term customer relationships, which will mean that we are fundamental to how they go about doing business in China. What are the big regulatory differences between the West and China in this space? There are a number of things that are different, but the, the way I would describe it is that obviously the licensing environment is different. So in order to be able to develop and operate data centers in China, you need a Type 1 for value-added services telco license for IDC. So that's one critical part of it. I think the second thing, though, is in terms of recognizing that power, fiber, and land is not ubiquitous in the way it is elsewhere in the world. And you know, they're each treated as very precious commodities in China. And so being able to demonstrate that your business model and your approach to data centers and using those assets is going to add value economically is is absolutely critical. And and then I think this point I made about working to a plan which is part of the five year plan, again, is is absolutely critical. Our view is that we could have we could have started with just going and buying a piece of land and, and seeing if we could put up a data center. Chances of that being successful I think are very low. And um, we see so many examples where you know, very enthusiastic, very energetic, very well-meaning teams have got just so far, and then they fall over because one piece of the of the puzzle is not in place. So, what we've tried to do is is map the whole puzzle, uh, and then deal with the regulatory environment, the relationships, and the perceived value of those key assets of land, power, and fibre, and demonstrate that we're going to deliver value to to China as well. So, we're very much about making sure that not only do our customers win, but the China wins as well. Jonathan Bunny, thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. Thank you. That's it from Smart Pacific. Show notes are available on the PTC website at ptc.org. Check them out. Thanks for listening. PTC is the premier global nonprofit membership organization promoting ICT in the Pacific Rim. Get involved in the world's most dynamic ICT region. Join PTC today. Participate in PTC seminars and conferences. Engage in PTC research programs. Make web contributions to PTC outreach. Share our dialogue and these PTC podcasts. Help us by rating them on iTunes. For more information about what PTC can do for you, see ptc.org.